Welcome to our study on the names of God. One of the very best ways to get to know God intimately, personally, is through an understanding of his name. You know, the scripture says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. God has indicated who he is and what he is like through the various names he's given in scripture. And through our study, we're going to discover from some of the key names that are used in the Bible, what he is like, how he operates, and how we can get to know him better. The very first name he gives us in the Bible is Elohim. That's the all-powerful creator one. That's the God who sits outside of time and space. So since he created heaven and earth, that means he existed before heaven and earth. He's more powerful than heaven and earth. In fact, the Bible says he created heaven and earth out of nothing. I don't know that you know anybody who can create something with no raw materials to work with. But that's how powerful our great God is. And you're gonna discover that Elohim and all the other names we're gonna look at is a transforming name because he's a transforming person. And when we finish our study, you'll have a transformed life. Welcome. As we get into God's word and learn about his great name, in fact, the power of God's names. Names matter. They matter in our lives. They matter in our world. Uh, they matter because they give us clues about people, places, and things. If I say Bill Gates and say that name, you're going to think money. Right. If I say Serena Williams, you're going to think tennis because there's a name association. You don't find parents naming their kids Hitler or Benedict Arnold because those names carry something with it that's negative because names matter. Names matter when a woman takes on the name of her husband because when she takes on his name, that represents a relationship and many of her hopes and dreams are tied to that relationship. In fact, uh, we're very concerned that names don't misrepresent us, but represent us. Nicknames fit in that category. If I call you Slim, that pretty much means you're skinny. If your nickname is uh, Chubby, that pretty much means you're a, you're a round ball. Because uh, names can be very descriptive. Because names matter. Folks take autographs of celebrities. They want their names written down so that they can say, I met him or her. I know him or her because names matter. Well, if names matter among people who go and come, whose names may or may not truly represent who they are, then the concept of names mattering when it comes to who God is ought to be that much more valuable and that much more important. And that's why we're studying the power of God's names. Because we want to look at the key names of God, what they mean, and why they matter. Why they matter for your life and your spiritual well-being and what that name or those names can do in your everyday existence as a believer in God and a follower of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible has a lot to say about the name of God and how critical it is. For example, Psalm chapter 8, verse 1 says, O Lord, how majestic is your name. Psalm 29, verse 2, ascribe to God the glory due his name. Psalm 86, verse 11, fear God's name. Psalm 111, verse 9, awesome is his name. Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Over and over and over and over again, we hear about the glory of God's name. But God has a whole plethora of names that describe him throughout the Bible. Because God's names are designed to give us clues into his nature. They are just not nomenclature for you to pronounce a word. It is to give you clues about who he is. God's name is so special, so unique, his name is to be hollowed. In fact, we were taught to pray that way. Our Father who art in heaven, hollowed be your name. The word hollow means set apart, unique, or sacred. It's, it's like the word holy. In fact, they, they're born out of the same root family, to be sacred. It means that you're holding it in a unique position. You know, in our homes, we have dishes in the sink. We'll call them the profane dishes, because they're dirty. Then you've got dishes in the kitchen cupboard. We'll call those common dishes because they're regularly used for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But then you have sacred dishes. Those are in the dining room. They got their own room, their own glass encasing, and nobody better not touch them because they're for special occasion and guests because they've been deemed to be holy, set apart, or sacred, they've been hollowed and are to be handled in a unique way. Hollowed be thy name. God's name wants to be held in the unique position that it ought to occupy in our lives and in our world. You know, in Genesis chapter 11, the first nine verses describes the erection of the Tower of Babel. Here men wanted to build their own civilization and their own religious order independently of God. And in chapter 11, verse 4, God says that mankind has come together in disobedience to his command. And he says the reason they came together is to build a name for themselves. See, they wanted the name. They just didn't want his name. And they were even going to build a religious order. We call it a ziggurat, right in the middle of civilization that would reach up to the heavens. Man making his way to God, but doing it using their own name. It's like a wife who says, I don't want to wear your name anymore. I don't want the association. I want my own name or my own name back. Well, that's what mankind does when they have religion, but want to exclude God. When they say in God we trust, but don't trust that God. When they say God bless America, 
but America doesn't want to bless God. We want the nomenclature without the person, and we want our own name. Now, we all know what forgery is. Forgery is the unauthorized use of your name. It's somebody taking your name, who's not been given permission to use it, and using it for illegitimate reasons. You know, that's why we trademark names. We trademark names so that we hold on to its identity, its definition, and its character. Well, God's names are trademarked, but we have a world today that's forging it. They will use his name without it relating to his person. But when you come to understand and appreciate the names of God, you will come to understand that his name is powerful. His name is, uh, is tremendous because his name and names are transforming. The first name we want to look at in looking at the names of God is his introductory name. This is the name uh, where we first read about him in the Bible in the first verse of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for God in Genesis 1-1 is the word Elohim. Elohim. That's a rich word because even in that one verse, we're given an education on the names of God. First of all, we learn that Elohim is transcendent. Transcendent means to be distinct. He is distinct from his creation. You know, there are a lot of views about God that amalgamate him with the creation. But he is distinct from the creation because he existed before the creation. It says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and earth. Well, if he created the heavens and earth, then he existed outside of the heavens and earth in order to be the creator of the heavens and earth. That he is responsible for time because it says in the beginning so if he created and his creation brought about the beginning that he sits outside of the beginning and since the beginning equals time he sits out of time which means he exists in eternity so we learn from this first verse that our great God exists outside of time but he also exists outside of space and matter we know that because he created space and matter, because he created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, God. But we find out something else in this chapter about God, Elohim, and that is uh, he has personhood. He's a person. We know he's a person because he's talking. Let there be light. Let's separate the land from the water. He's, he's talking. Uh, he's creating things. He's thinking in order to speak cognitively. Thought precedes words. So he's thinking. He's also acting. And let me tell you something else he's doing throughout this first chapter of creation. He's feeling because he said, that's good. That's good. In fact, he gets so excited, he closes it down with, that's real good. It's very good. So this creator Elohim, this creator God exists outside of time and space, but yet he interacts with time and space. 
In fact, we're told in Jeremiah 23, verse 24, that he fills the heavens and the earth. So he not only made it, he occupies it. In the same way that air occupies this room and air occupies our, our planet, we discover that God occupies the heavens and earth. So there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide because he sits outside of it while being a full occupant within it. Now, I know that's a lot to, to grab, and you can't think about it too long or you go jumping out somebody's window. <laughs> but that's how awesome God is. We find out about this God that his creation, uh, theologians call it ex nihilo, or as Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, that he created the things that are seen out of things that are not visible. In other words, he created something out of nothing. That's ex nihilo. Now, you can't do that. Science can't do that. Uh, I love Job chapter 12, uh, verses 7 to 9, because God says, why don't you let man investigate the animals and investigate nature and discover the handiwork of God? So God even invites science to check him out. If you don't believe I can do what I do the way I do it, check me out and you will see how awesome I am. You know, evolution believes that nobody with nothing created everything. You can't buy that line. It'll make a monkey out of you. No, our great God has created time and space and matter, the galaxies, Andromeda, which is 2.5 million light years away. It would take 4,400,000 years in Earth years to send a message to it and receive a message back from it in light year speed. And yet God created it by speaking it into existence. That's how great Elohim is. The word Elohim is plural, by the way. We call it a majestic plural. It comes from El. El means strong one. And it's a majestic plural because God exists in plurality. We don't have the details in Genesis 1, but we get the hint. And that is God exists in plurality. Even when he makes man, he said, let us make man. And then he says, and he made man in his own image. So he speaks in plurality and yet operates in singularity. How can you exist in plurality, operate in singularity all at the same time? Well, it's sort of like a pretzel. You got a pretzel with three holes. First hole is not the second hole. The second hole is not the third hole. All three holes are distinct, but they're all tied together by the same dough. The Father's not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit, but they all have the dough of divine nature. They all have the dough of deity at work in their lives. And so you and I get to discover this great God. We discover this great God in his creative genius when he is crafting creation in such a way that he even restores things that are messed up. It says in verse two, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of Elohim was moving 
over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And of course, there was light. Here we have God bringing order out of a chaos situation. Without form and void is a Hebrew word, tohu wabohu. Tohu wabohu basically means a garbage dump, a swamp. That's why he has to separate the land from the water because it's all mixed together. But God has to bring order out of chaos. See, that's why you need to know the word Elohim because life can get chaotic. Life can get messed up. Life can get confusing. But when you know the name Elohim, he can take nothing and make something. He can take madness and mess and create a miracle. Now, if he can do it in a universe, then can he do it in the universe of our lives? Because his name is Elohim. And he is mm -mm good. Because every time he does something, he recognizes how good it was. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then ultimately, he creates man. And when he creates man, man in his own image, uh, it is the hallmark of his creation. You and I are the hallmark of his creation because you and I have been created in the image of God. That means we've been designed to mirror him. We can't mirror him as though we were him, but we can mirror him as reflections of him. So we were created to mirror the great God in a way that the rest of nature has not been given that opportunity nor that privilege. His name is Elohim. In the first chapter, through the second chapter, verse 4, that's the only name used of God. Every time you see God, you see the word Elohim, 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 some 35 times in the span of that uh, just a chapter and a few verses. And what is he doing in this introductory name that he gives himself? Well, what he's doing is letting you see his creative genius. You know how creative God was when he instituted creation? He made it so he wouldn't have to do it twice because he created in such a way that creation could replicate itself. And so animals replicate themselves. Uh, 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 the, the, the way the flowers bloom and the trees grow and pollen and bees repollinate, all of that is reproducing itself naturally. So we can live for thousands of years and not run out of air, not run out of water, not run out of grass. We can, we can do that, not run out of food because God has built in what he's going to do for us tomorrow by what he creates today. And he created reproductive systems. See, you've never met anybody like this before. Uh, and he's one of a kind. That's why they said, hear, O Israel, the Lord God is, is one. Elohim is unique in his being, unique in his person. Now, what people want to do is they want to use Elohim without acknowledging Elohim. It was like Nebuchadnezzar who said, I did this by my own strength and by my own power when all you're doing is piggybacking off of someone else. And then you've got the nerve, many people do, to be an atheist. You got, you got the nerve. In fact, in fact uh, as a man told an atheist one time, he says, uh, he says, you atheists have a holiday. He says, what do you mean we have a holiday? We don't have, an, they don't have any holiday. Oh, yeah, there is an atheist holiday. He said, well, what is it? He said, April Fool's Day. 
That's your holiday because the scripture says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Nature reveals him. Nature expresses him. Every time you see the sun go up or the moon come up, you are seeing the handiwork of our great God. And that ought to elicit a response. Oh Lord, how majestic are you. How awesome are you. And because you are this great Elohim, I don't want to be independent of you. I don't want to be separated from you. Now, I know it looks like in our world, people can do well without God. I understand it looks like that. That they can deny him, curse him, reject him and abandon him and still be looking like life is fine. In fact, you find people in scripture getting jealous of the God haters because the God haters sometimes the Elohim haters sometimes look like they're doing better than the God lovers. And, and, and it's looking like things are going well. But it's like a true event that happened a few years ago. A few years ago, on a little small runway, there was a single engine plane that took off by itself. It just took off by itself. I, I guess the pilot uh, left it in gear unintentionally, and it just ran down the runway, and it just took off by itself. And it climbed and climbed and climbed, and it got pretty high with nobody in control. It was running its own existence, and it was running it independently. But about 90 miles out, the plane ran out of gas and came crashing down to the ground. Now, you can go a long way, you think, without Elohim. You can climb the career success ladder. You can climb uh, the recognition ladder. You can climb the prosperity ladder. You can climb the power ladder. And you can think you're doing it on your own. Yes, yes. But about 90 miles down the road, mm, on, <laughs> when life crashes in on you yes, yes, yes. and you start to run out of gas, <laughs> when there's a sickness that the doctors can't Lord, fix, Jesus. A problem that, that the counselors can't solve. A predicament that you can't resolve. And you come crashing to the ground. You'll discover that God's law of gravity still works. And that when, when it's all said and done, his law will rule. And his word will stay true. In the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and earth. Because name matters. It is the name he wants to introduce you to, to get your life started in understanding the power of his name. El, strong one. Elohim, the plural God who creates, who reproduces. And then I love how he closes this because after he's done all of his creative work, after he's done all of this marvel that has been uncontaminated by sin. When he's done what he planned to do, we read in chapter 2, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all of his work which God had created and made. Now, please note, 
he didn't rest because he was tired because he ain't worked that hard. I mean, all he did was talk. And so, I mean, how, how tired can you be? Just talking, you know? Let there be, let there be, let there be. And everything he said came into existence in harmony. No, he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. Uh, basically, on, on the seventh day, he was saying, I rest my case. Uh, you, you've seen what I can do. And I'm going to enjoy what I have done. All through the Bible, God's people are called to rest. The whole book of Hebrews is about rest. We're told in chapter 4, there is a rest that belongs to the people of God. It doesn't mean that, uh, that you're tired. It means that you're finished. In other words, God, you take it from here. You've done everything. I've responded to what you've done. You take it from here. Says you resting, I'm a rest. He told Israel, for six days you gather, but on that seventh day, you rest. You let me take it from here. Elohim means that you can rest and relax in the power of God. That doesn't mean you're irresponsible. Doesn't mean you don't do what God expects you to do. But it does mean that you understand that the powerful God, Elohim, is big enough for whatever is taking place in your life. So the next time you've got to wrestle with power, I want you to remember a name. It's a special name because it's the first name. In fact, you can, you can relate to him on a first name basis. Because it says in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And so I guess as we close this session, I want to say what the author of the psalm said in Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You know, in football season when a player, particularly a player on defense, gets through the line and is able to grab or sack the quarterback or tackle the running back before he's crossed the line of scrimmage where he's made a big play and everybody's excited. You'll see him raise his hands and start doing this. He'll start pumping it up. What he's saying to the crowd as he pumps it up is give it up. What he's saying is join me in the celebration of this big thing I've just done. I just sacked the quarterback. I've just trapped the halfback behind the line of scrimmage. I just broke up the play and I feel so good right now about what I just did. And since I feel this good, I don't want to feel good by myself. So as I pump it up, well, why don't you join me and magnify my joy in what I just did by you celebrating with me? So oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Somebody ought to raise your hand and pump it up, pump it up, pump it up, pump it up, because his name is Elohim. <laughs> 